So the man is using those images of garden, and that has or, or makes the reader、uh, conjure the sense of a garden temple. And a lot of descriptions in the Song of Songs, both、uh, descriptions of the woman and the man, are also using royal、mm-hmm. imageries. Yep. And so you see there are two royal figures, and in this garden temple. And so when we read the Song of Songs, we can、um, try to think of the garden、um, as a different version or another version of the Garden of Eden.、Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, sponsored by Logos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology. For your listening pleasure, today we're on a book club episode. We have Dr. Chloe Sun on. We're going to be talking to her about her new book. It's published by IVP Academic. It's conspicuous in his absence. Studies in the Song of Songs and Esther. And so、uh, we'll start this conversation here in a moment、uh, with Dr. Sun.、Uh, reminders on some show notes. Uh, there is a link to IVP Academic, so you can click that link and get Dr. Sun's book,、uh, and then also some other books that we've interviewed、uh, through IVP. And then also, if you want to communicate with Peter and myself about anything、uh, pertaining to the show, the ways to find us,、uh, there's four main ways. The first one would be email, guiltgracepod@gmail.com. The other way would be Twitter, is at Guilt Grace Pod, and the same handle for Instagram. We're pretty active on Twitter and Instagram, and then、uh, YouTube. Also, these these audio recordings are automatically have a video attached to them. So if you prefer YouTube in that platform,、uh, you can go on YouTube and type in our podcast name and hit subscribe. You can see this、uh, video. As it's kind of playing out, and then、um, you can also become a bridge builder. So you mentioned you heard me in the beginning of this episode say Logos Bible Software. They are our main sponsor. Halfway through this episode, you'll hear some words from some of our other sponsors. And then, if you're an individual person, you can be a bridge builder as well. You just hit that Patreon link and decide which level of giving that you want to do. Not taking anything away from your weekly giving to your local church. And speaking of local church, hit that local church finder. You can find the closest confessional reformed churches near your area. If you're not part of a church right now, or know somebody that's not part of a church right now, type in a zip code. Find the closest reformed denominations near your area. And、uh, so, yeah, I'll let per- further Peter further introduce Dr. Chloe Sun today. Yeah, we have Dr. Chloe Sun, and she is the a professor of Old Testament academic dean at Logos Evangelical Seminary, not to be confused with Logos Bible Software, and has published books in Chinese and English, including the Ethics of Violence and the Story of 
Akats. I hope I said that right. Love already, but not yet. A commentary on the Song of Songs and attempt great things for God, theological education and the diaspora. So it's a pleasure to have you to talk about this book, Song of Songs and Esther. Thanks for coming on, Dr. Sun. Hi, Nick and Peter. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so as we start off, first question that we ask most of our, our guests on this, actually not most, all of our guests we ask this question, but uh, maybe let our listeners know if they don't know about you already, a little bit about yourself, your background, and your current work, what you do, and some of the stuff that you might be working on. Okay. Um, yeah, I teach at Logos Seminary. Uh, I've been there for a while. Uh, I love teaching the Old Testament um, in my spare time. I enjoy swimming, jogging, um, walking with my dog, mm -hmm. reading, movies. Netflix. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then my current work, I um, I'm actually working on the Book of Exodus. Okay. I'm contracted to write two commentaries on the Book of Exodus. So um, yeah, and I'm excited about this uh, writing process. Awesome. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, this is. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've always thought about doing a PhD in Old Testament, and I don't love teaching but I, uh, I don't mind teaching, but yeah, I, I, I get the I get the love for teaching from, from, from you as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And awesome. I think the best job is doing something that you enjoy doing and that's yeah. your passion. And then you get paid for doing what you love to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you love what you do and you get paid for it. It's the best. Yeah. The best job. Yeah. You're like, Oh my gosh, I get a paycheck every two weeks. I know. What's happening? <laughs> Peter and I are still waiting to get paid for this, but we love it. <laughs> we are getting paid. It just doesn't go into our pockets. It just goes right. Right back into the podcast. Uh, yeah. Good I enough. See. It's it's mission work. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, we both love reading this book. It's it's really great. Uh, and so to get, get some groundwork going, get everyone up to speed, can you provide some brief historical information as far as, you know, and the outline of both – the Song of Songs and Esther, and um, maybe attached to this question, um, I can ask it after you answer the first part, is why are, why are they unique within the Old Testament canon and even unsettling to many people given that God's name is not mentioned anywhere in the Hebrew text? Okay, thank you for your question. So for the historical information, do you mean the history of inter interpretation or do you mean the Like when it was written, content? who it was written by potentially or oh, like, okay. yeah, con con like all some the, of the very, 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 very basic stuff. Yeah, some, oh, of the context, okay. con some of the context, like who, what, where, why kind of things. Oh, okay, well, um, these two books, Song of Songs and the Book of Esther are in the Hebrew Bible and the, or the Old Testament. And traditionally, the church would think that um, Solomon is the writer for the Song of Songs. And uh, the author for Esther is anonymous. Uh, we're not sure who. And the Song of Songs is about the love between the man and the woman. But there are different ways to interpret this love. And mm -hmm. some would transcend it into how God loves Israel or how Christ loves the church. So there are all kinds of ways to read this book. And for the book of Esther, um, it's about a Jewish people uh, scattered in Persia and how they face genocide and how Esther and her cousin Mordecai um, saved their own people. And Esther mm -hmm. 
is an orphan and then she becomes the queen of Persia. So the whole story is fascinating about, um, even though God's name is not there, but it, it, it is about how God saved his people um, in a hidden way, in a behind the scenes, in a provi providential way. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. then and the other part too is just, um, to, to many people, it's kind of maybe initially alarming that God's name isn't uh, explicitly mentioned anywhere in those two books. And so um, is there, I, I guess I kind of teed up this part is like, that's yeah. the reason why you picked yeah. those two why books. Why is this in the canon if, if God's name's not in it? Yeah, that was my question. <laughs> um, you know, I love these two books. If and then always wonder, you know, is it on purpose that the author did not include the name of God? Or the author just forgot. He's like, oops, that's yeah. <laughs> I tend to think that it's, it's that the author is on purpose, you know, yeah, trying right. to leave the name of God out of these two books. Um, right. And that purpose is something we or I try to fig figure figure right. out in this book. Yeah, and that's kind of hence the the title. Um, conspicuous in his absence you're talking about divine hiddenness yeah yeah, yeah god's god's name is not in it but is that like we'll, we'll talk about in this book if god's name is not in it does not does that mean that god was not active in this mm -hmm. period yeah actually uh when we talk about the absence of god we need to clarify in these two books song of songs and esther it's the literary absence of god yeah it yep. doesn't mean it's the the actual God who's absent. Yeah. And a lot of times God's presence and absence um, are not in a dichotomy. You know, if God's absent, then he's not present. Or if God is present, then he's not absent. A lot of times it's God can be present in absence or he can be absent in presence. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah you guys are have a hard time following she, she'll like if you read the book you'll, you'll see what she's saying because this, <laughs> okay. this goes all throughout because like, people are thinking like how could it be absent in his presence so if you read the book you'll understand some of these some of these quotes that she's bringing out yeah can i say something um yeah. as as i wrote this book there is a aha moment um so when i think about jesus on the cross um, he experienced the abandonment of God, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, Jesus experienced the absence of God on the cross. But at that very moment, God's presence is there because the death of Jesus on the cross has been God's plan all along. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. God's presence and absence can happen at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's For the human mind, sometimes it's just... You know, if God, if I don't feel God, then God is not there. Mm. Yeah. It can happen at the same moment, same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and that's helpful because I think when somebody's reading the text and something's not explicitly mentioned, I think we assume it's not there. Yeah. Versus yeah. when the author's not mentioning it, he like, and we'll talk about throughout your book, that's for a purpose. It's not because he's not there. Is that, is yeah. that right? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. it's fun to try to find out what that purpose is yeah um so yeah that's and that that leads to um so you have a you have a couple themes so kind of the middle portion of this book is some themes that are throughout this so time um temple uh there's there's a couple other ones in this as well there's uh feasts because we'll talk about some of this feast as well absence but one of the ones that, that struck 
that struck us is we have, we've actually had him on the show before, Dr. Beal, mm-hmm. um, on Temple in the Old New Testaments, and he, he talked about this. And your chapter on the Temple theme is, for, for both of us, is fascinating. I mean, I love this chapter because it brought out the same exact stuff that he brought out, some mm-hmm. of the stuff I learned at Westminster. So can you describe, we don't see a temple in Song of Songs. Like they don't, the author doesn't say like, well, here's a temple and they just constructed a temple. It's it's not explicit if you can say it in the mm-hmm. text, but, yeah. it, but it's still there. It's still there in Song of Songs and, and Esther and, and particularly kind of related to the Garden Tabernacle. So maybe if you can kind of lay that out for the audience, How how is the temple in these two texts? Okay. Well, when we think about a temple, we think about a structure, a building, but then uh, in the ancient Near East, a temple is always related or associated with a garden. So we usually, uh, when we think about temple, yep. we think about garden temple. And yep. when we go back to the Garden of Eden, it's a garden, but it is also a temple. Mm-hmm. You know, there are springs, there are, there are animals, there are pools, um, the presence of God. And so when you put all those um, Im- images together, you know, the water, fountain, um, the presence of God, jewelry, um, and animals, and then you form the image of a temple. So in, in the Song of Songs, uh, one of the settings is the garden. Mm-hmm. And the man uses garden imagery to describe the women. Uh, in chapter four, yeah. she is like a garden locked and she is like spring sealed up. And then um, there's also a well of fresh water and streams flowing from Lebanon. So the man is using those imageries of garden and that has or, or makes the reader uh, conjure the sense of a garden temple. And a lot of descriptions in the Song of Songs, both uh, descriptions of the women and the men are also using royal mm-hmm. imageries. Yep. And so you'll see there are two royal figures and in this garden temple. And so when we read the Song of Songs, we can um, try to think of the garden um, as a different version or another version of the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and something before, before we talk about Esther and this is well, it's, it's something that they would have, they probably would have heard and they would have made this connection when they first heard this book in mm-hmm. Hebrew. Um, when the, the book was written, whatever it may have been written, and they would be hearing some of these connections, like, oh, they're they're talking about they're talking about a temple. They're talking about yeah. like they're they're in this, and he's the way that Solomon describes, or the way that the author describes um, the the woman is is conjures up images of potentially Israel, and the mm-hmm. way that the the authors describe, or the way that Solomon or the kings describe, kind of con- like conjures up an image of a, of a king in some sense. So yeah. maybe, if you can describe some of that stuff as well, where it's not explicit in the text, where you can't right. say like, oh, he's describing this. Mm-hmm. But if you see it across the canon, you see some of these themes emerge. Yes, yes, that's right. And the word Lebanon, you know, when, when we think about Lebanon, we think about the cedars of Lebanon. We think about the temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's all over the place in the temple. Yeah. 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 And then for... Did you ask about the Book of Esther too? Yeah, the Book of yeah. Esther too, because I think Esther, it may, it may be less obvious potentially yeah. as Song of Songs, because at least Song of Songs, it's like a male and a female, they're in a garden. It's like, oh, this kind of reminds me of Adam and Eve mm-hmm. in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. 
the book but, of Genesis, but for Esther, it's a little less obvious, I guess you can say, mm-hmm. the songs. So I, I think in my book, I used the word uh, imagination and possible illusion and association. Yep. So when we try to read the temple theme in the book of Esther, we need to use our imagination because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not explicit. Yeah. And so uh, what strikes me when I study the book of Esther is in chapter one, um, when the author describes the the Persian palace. Yep. A lot of descriptions are very similar to the descriptions uh, in the, in in uh, building the Jewish temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pillars and the mm-hmm. colors. Yeah, like the end of Exodus, like Exodus twenty five to like thirty ish. Yeah, yeah, very temple. similar. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so that's fascinating. So if if you are an informed reader, uh, you are familiar with the the decorations or the. Mm-hmm. the the elements that built the tabernacle. Then, when you read the descriptions of the Persian palace, you see, hey, it, why are they so similar? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Um, for the Jewish reader, does it mean that right now um, they see this um, per- Persian palace, but it resembles the temple in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but the Jerusalem temple is not there anymore, mm-hmm. and and so it kind of symbolized God's absence. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Is there, you know, a lot of thoughts would be going on in, in the in the Jewish mind, and then when we when we goes to um, Esther eight fifteen, um, the verse describes the clothing of um, Mordecai. Yeah. And the descriptions of his clothing is like the clothing for the priestly garment. Yeah. And that's so amazing. Yeah. And what does it mean? Can I can I quote uh, quote myself? Yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, raised, quote quote the author, yeah, the one, yeah, the one you wrote the book. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, um, I just raised several questions about the uh, uh, clothing of Mordecai that's uh, resembling the priestly clothing. Yep. Yep. So I asked, is it possible that in the absence of the physical temple, God is no longer bound by a physical vocation, but transcends it? At the time of exile and Jewish diaspora, is it possible that God's presence has shifted from a physical temple to his people? Mm-hmm. So those are some of the questions that I wrestle with, and I just put them out there for people to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and we'll, we'll dive into this question a little bit further later on, but and this is more specific kind of towards temple themes too, because um, the way that Mordecai is described, it's, and, and Esther is described as well. And this is not necessarily making a connection with Song of Songs, but it's it's somewhat similar to Joseph going into Egypt, going to that the house of yes, Israel, yes. right? You're right. It's like a type scene, like similar type of story. Uh, an underdog or a foreigner uh-huh. becomes successful and um, rise to prominence in the foreign court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, it's, you can call it whatever, Pharaoh's temple, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's palace, and Mordecai goes in the same place into the Persian palace. Yeah, yeah. Like seeing all these themes, like, oh man, there's there's all this stuff all over the place. Which which you can you can connect that to the Daniel narrative too. Yes, you're you're right. Yeah, so that's the canonical reading, trying to to see the resonance um, with one another. Uh, just I mean, <laughs> see the resonance between the Book of Esther and the rest of yeah. other similar stories. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, the temple theme's not just there, it's all over the place, but you see kind of a touchdown of the yeah. temple theme in both the Song of Songs and... Um, I'm Esther. so glad both you see this. 
Yeah, I feel like it's, I mean, it, it's uh, for me. So I was schooled in this stuff. So Westminster, we were, we were grilled on Old Testament themes. And so one of our big stuff was the temple and, and the, the book that you quote quite a bit during this chapter is actually quote a, a bunch of them in your footnotes. I'm, I'm a nerd. So I go to footnotes to see what you, what you quoted, mm-hmm. uh, but the, the temple and the church, I forget the exact name. It's the temple mm-hmm. and the mission of the church from mm-hmm. Dr. Beale. Yeah. Yeah. Was a lot of the same things that, that you pull up too. Yes. I, I love that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, yeah, well, and another theme, so besides, the temple, and I mean, you guys, people who are listening to this, you can go to the to the book to find so many more themes that we just we can't we can't touch in an hour. But another major theme, um, and kind of maybe the major theme that you make a, a case in this, uh, a connecting theme is um, the Jewish calendar and the feasts, the festivals. And so, what what festivals comprise? And sorry, Nick, for taking the thunder on this because you want to get this one right. The <laughs> the, the the megalots. What 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 two feasts what two feasts or, or festivals are most prominent in Song of Songs or and how are they related and why why is this vital when we read these two books in the context of the five books of the Megalodes in the context of the canon as well? Okay, um, well for those who are not familiar with the word Megalod, uh, actually means five books or five scrolls, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. in, in the Hebrew Bible there are five books. Uh, let's see if I can remember them right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, besides Song of Songs and Esther, there's Ruth and Lamentations and Ecclesiastes. Yeah, so these yeah. five books are read or sung um, during um, five Jewish festivals, and uh, the Song of Songs is sung in the Passover, mm-hmm. and then the Book of Esther is red uh, and um, pure. And so what is the significance and why is um, this theme festivals, um, why is it vital to our interpretation of these two books? Um, okay, um, so in this book, I try to approach, in this chapter, I try to approach it from the perspective of the Jewish community, mm-hmm. how they receive the Song of Songs and um, Esther, rather than from the authorial intent of these two mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. And yep. so even though these two books um, do not have the literary um, presence of God's name, that they are used in two religious festivals, the Passover and the Purim. So that means the Jewish community or the religious community receive these two books as part of their religious culture and, and ritual mm-hmm. and for song of songs um for for us contemporary readers we may see it as a song you know yeah. it's genre it's, it's a song or a lyric poetry but then uh for the early jewish exegetes uh, interpreters they they take the song of songs as a parable about how god loves israel mm-hmm. so in that sense the song of songs is not just a a, a song between a man and a woman. It's a love song between God and Israel. And in that case, um, you know, throughout the history, they it's a gradual development. Uh, the Song of Song uh, becomes uh, a, a text to be sung on the Passover. Mm-hmm. And and for Esther, it's amazing when we when we um, read chapter three, uh, we we see this story about Haman. He uh, wants to cast lot to um, to find the best date 
mm -hmm. uh, to annihilate the whole Jewish race. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's so amazing that the the lot that fell, the date, the date that the lot fell mm -hmm. is the date um, before Passover. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's so amazing. If Passover symbolizes God's rescue, uh, rescuing of his people. He wants to wipe out the Jewish race uh, at this time. It's like, oh, this is this is not the point. I know. That's so that that timing is so amazing. Yeah. And, and that kind of hinted at God's providence or God's action behind the scenes that this annihilation would not work. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, for those who are you know, wondering, it's yeah, yeah, she's saying the um esther three the passover happens the day after this that they cast these lots when they're trying to annihilate the jewish race yeah. and the passover is the saving of the jewish race right. putting right. them through the, the the waters of exodus and bringing them to the, the safe dry land and the promised land you're like oh but that's you're trying to kill them but this symbolizes yeah. this festival Salvation. that saves them yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so <laughs> so, so they Mm -hmm. They start the festival with the Song of Songs and they end it with Esther. Is that what you're saying? Okay, these two festivals are back to back. So Passover mm -hmm. is around March, April, and then mm -hmm. the Purim is about around February, March. Um, Passover symbolizes salvation, rescuing, yep. and then the Purim, you know, just the festival before that. Mm -hmm. It also kind of uh, symbolizes salvation as well. Prepares for Passover, and another um, the vital uh, theme about this uh, festivals is that um, even if we don't find God in these two books, you know, God is present in other books, mm -hmm. um, and so I, I just find that amazing. Uh, God's presence, mm -hmm. absence, can be in a um, um, dialogue or in a dynamic mm -hmm. relationship. And in these two books, God's absence is is hidden, but in other books, God's uh, presence is more obvious. Yeah. Before before Nick asks his next question, and and for those who may have a, a little bit better under like knowledge of the Bible, if if they think of Passover, my my guess is their next thought is not Song of Songs. They're not like they don't make that connection really. So maybe what you you dive into this a little bit in the book or you dive into a lot in the book um kind of the, the different readings and the different rabbinical understandings of this and maybe like maybe help our listeners out with like song of songs doesn't sound like the passover it it it's it, it, we, <laughs> okay. we think about it as, as love so it's maybe, maybe okay. help our listeners out a little bit on like so what did they see in the song of songs or how did they read this to say like oh this is because with with Purim, we're like, yeah, because that's in the book of Esther, because they, mm -hmm. they cast the lots and they celebrate the festival at the end of the book. But with Song of Songs, they don't celebrate Passover at the end of the yeah, book. Yeah. It's connected to Exodus. What, yeah, what do they, yeah, what do they see mm -hmm. that connected it? Yeah, good question, because you're right. Uh, we cannot find the word Passover in the Song of Songs. We cannot find the word Exodus in the Song of Songs, or even Israel or the Red Sea. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's go back to the genre of the book. So as I said, uh, in earlier uh, Jewish interpreters, they see the Song of Songs as a parable between a, par a parable describing how God loves Israel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and their way of uh, interpretation is, is seeing 
God and Israel's history in other books. For example, when they when they come to Song of Songs one nine, this is in the text. It says the man is praising the women. To me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And then when the rabbis read this verse, they will have a discussion among themselves. So one would say, when is this? Um, so in, instead of asking questions, who is praising who or why is the man praising the woman this way? They ask the word, when, when did this happen? And then another rabbi will respond and say, oh, he talks about the chariots of Pharaoh. It must happen at the Red Sea. Mm. And then they take this uh, out of context. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then they will say, oh, okay, this, this is about how God loves Israel at the Red Sea and rescued her. Mm-hmm. Hey, all, this podcast and this episode is brought to you by our main sponsor at Logos Bible Software. According to a recent survey, 30% of evangelical churchgoers want more in-depth teaching. So if you are among those who want to go deeper into the word, Logos is the Bible study platform for you. Logos also fuses some of the most powerful technology available with biblical resources. You can access all sorts of commentaries, Bibles, up-to-dates, seminary-level courses, and even audiobooks right on your phone tablet or desktop has original language resources, which I, Peter, use on a very consistent basis. So it has a great resource on Septuagint, Septuagint resources, the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew and a lot of Greek New Testament work as well. So if you guys are interested in that stuff as well, you guys can head over to logos.com slash guilt grace, because with us, Logos is now more affordable than ever. You can get started at just $49. So head on over, find yourself a package, and join us with Logos Bible Software. Hey, guys, a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Reformation Heritage Books. We've partnered with them, and they've partnered with us to try to push a couple of their uh, published books. One of them is the 10-volume series of William Perkins, who is a 16th and 17th century reformed writer, wrote commentaries on Galatians, Revelation, uh, wrote The Golden Chain of Salvation, some incredibly influential works in reformed theology. Also, the Family Worship Study Guide, which gives you quick little snippets, about a paragraph each of all 66 books of the Bible, each chapter in those books. So it's really good for family worship. And also they have basically every major publisher uh, in the world. They sell their books at cheaper than Amazon uh, sells them. So if you guys Go to heritagebooks.org, drop a line that Guilt, Grace, Gratitude sent you and purchase their books. We'd be grateful and you're supporting a great cause. Yeah, and RHB Books is the largest confessionally reformed publisher in the world, and they publish historical and modern works on a consistent basis. So you can find them on Twitter at RHB underscore books and on Instagram, Reformation Heritage Books. Yep. So go on over there, get these books. There's so much good stuff coming out and hopefully this is good. Santa Ana Reformed, under the oversight of Reverend Danny Hyde of Oceanside United Reformed Church, is officially beginning Sunday afternoon services at 2 p.m. at Davis Elementary School's multi-purpose room in Santa Ana, California, beginning June 12th. 
Davis Elementary is at the foot of the downtown Orange County Santa Ana Water Tower off the 5 Freeway, right at the heart of the city, so it's very easy to find. If you'd like more information about joining, email me at santaanareformed at gmail.com, and I can send you a flyer with all this information. Let's spread the gospel to Santa Ana. See you there. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's like you said at the beginning that they're they're using a different interpretative approach mm-hmm. that we might be coming to the the Book of Song of Songs, which is why they associate this with Passover. When I think when we're interpreting this um, through kind of what we think of as the authorial tent, we may not see this as explicitly mm-hmm. versus they have seen this in the text. You, you talk about, I mean, people can read this, that the five different kind of, le- like not timings, but the five different portions of the Song of Songs and where this lands and where something else lands at the end of it, mm-hmm. uh, which we don't have to get into all that stuff right now, but it, it kind of does aid in this interpretation on seeing this as the Passover because like the beginning of this and then waiting to the consummation at the end. Yes, yes. It's a different reading strategy. Or- yeah, yeah. And it's, and I think people may freak out when they hear different reading strategies, like, wait, you're not taking the authorial intent. Like, isn't that what we're supposed to do? But I, I do think seeing this through the eyes, like you talk about, seeing this through the eyes of some of the Jewish rabbis and how they interpret it, it actually does help us interpret a little bit better, um, mm-hmm. seeing how it's been interpreted before us by those who are probably closer to the to this to this time than we are. Yeah, I think uh it may not be the what we think is the right way to interpret the interpret the book, mm-hmm. but it enriches our understanding yep. about the book and the history exactly. of the book. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and a, a pre-question before my question, just real quickly. In the towards the beginning of the episode, you mentioned the potential author of songs of Song of Songs, and um, it's debated that you know Solomon would be the author. Um, it also makes sense that it could be not just Solomon; it could be another author. That could be a female author. What? What? Just for clarification, just out of curiosity, what's your take or argument or, or belief on who the where you're leaning, like who the author would be. Okay. Um, the simple answer would be Solomon is associated closely, intimately yeah. with the book of the Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. But if, is he the actual writer? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, because it has to do with like the dating of the Hebrew because it uses like Aramaicized Hebrew at some portions. Yeah, yeah. Not like older Hebrew. Then the content of the Hebrew, I mean, the content of the Song of Solomon <laughs> is, is in a happy time, right? It's, it's, it's not in a dark time because usually love poetry um, exists out of a like a peaceful time. Um, and then there's other evidence, like there are a lot of uh, ge- geographical names uh, in the Northern Kingdom. That means by the time the book um, has been written the northern kingdom has not been destroyed well there are arguments for and against uh, solomon as the author um yeah rather hotly debated between yeah but then um, some scholars would think that this book is written by a female author yeah i think a lot of reasons is because it's so descriptive about a women's uh, inner world yeah how she thinks about her beloved yeah um, for example in chapter five like when when her beloved um went away she, her, her soul went out 
So that that kind of description is very very feminine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and <clears throat> you can get a little nerdy because yeah, you talk about the very very beginning of your book the some of the Hebrew prepositions, which may not be like from Solomon, but it's like attributed to Solomon. So there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of arguments behind this stuff, which doesn't yeah. mean, and I think so often we think like, oh, if it's not this author, then it can't be in the canon or it's not a conservative rendering, but it's, it's, if it's in the canon, it's in the canon. It's, it's what we have. Yeah. But there's something else, you know, the word Solomon means peace, which oh, yeah. is in the masculine, you know, Shlomo. And then Shulamite also means peace. That's right. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. feminine. Yep. So Solomon and Shulamite can be a literary construction by the author. Yeah. And I could I could see why a lot of scholars think it's a female author in there, at least partly too, because it does it. Like you said, there's a, like a lot of a female perspective. It, you're reading it and it's like, this is purely from like a, a female talking. So then you're like, how is it by Solomon too? So yeah, I could see how it could be both. Um, and, and all those other things, but not to get too much in the weeds. I just kind of wanted to flush that out. Yeah. That is a big question maybe, people have. Maybe helpful too for our listeners. Cause it's being attributed to Solomon can also, like you said, bring out some of like the kingly elements, him, him being mm -hmm. kind of a king from the line of David, it brings yeah. up like this kingship element too. Yeah. But there, uh, there is a common question that I encounter from my, um, audience, you know, when I talk about some of songs about Solomon which is Solomon has 700 wives. That's right. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How can someone like that write yeah. song of songs? One that's man, right. one woman. And well, that's a big question mark. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. That's a question you don't really like really think of very often. If he had 700 wives, why is he just with this one person for a whole book? Yeah, right. I know. Mm, yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. And then just the, how you're relating it to, the Garden of Eden, um, post-fall, obviously, when it was written, but it's kind of going back to redemp uh, redemption of how God is going to relate to us uh, in a pre-fall state. Yeah, or how he like did Adam and Eve gone right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it is a kind of a nice hope for us moving forward to when um, everything will be restored, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, but... Going on to my real question, I apologize for that. So, so, so some of the groundwork has been laid here. Uh, what is the relevance canonically and theologically for the absence of God in these texts? And how does this relate to when, this is a kind of a practical part of the question. Mm -hmm. How does this relate to when we feel God is absent in our own lives? Um, and so, yeah. Okay. So, um when we hear pastors preach or when we read um, uh, books about the Bible, sometimes we focus more on the presence of God as uh, a way to encourage believers and to give hope for believers mm -hmm. to trust God. Uh, but a lot of times in real lives, you know, we do experience the absence of God. You know, this is how we perceive that God is absent or how we feel that he's not there. doesn't mean that God is not there. And so the experience of the absence of God is real um, in believers' lives. And if we don't have these two books, then something's missing. So there, there will be a misalignment between our lived experience and with the biblical uh, uh, witness. And so um, how does this relate to when we feel that God is absent? Um, we can relate to the psalmist in the lament psalms 
And we can yeah, I was about to, to bring that up. Yeah. We can relate to the experience of Job. You know, their feelings are real. Their experiences are real. And so that makes our own lives and the lives of the biblical characters, um, we can have more interactions in, in that way and understand them better. And also, um, the, also uh, the, the absence of God also teaches us how to think about God um, and how to relate to him, especially when we feel that he's absent. So these are profound questions uh, believers need to wrestle with. Yeah, that's that's helpful because I think, like you said, and you talk about in your book, and I've actually heard from other podcasts, um, those who may not see the Bible the same way that we would see it, um, but that they kind of do lament that like sometimes the the sermons or the the Bible studies or whatever it is are almost only kind of like happy-go-lucky, like you're going to figure it out, like things are going to go well when they've had a really, really, really rough week and they're like, but that's not what I felt. That's, that's not yeah. like I felt that God was absent for me. And it's like you said, it's, it's, it's like, you can be really happy that two books in the Bible don't say God's name. Cause it's like, it's, it's okay. It's like, it's okay yeah. not to like immediately receive this thing and say like, Oh man, I got things figured out. Yeah. And I yeah. think these two books, uh, the presence of these two books is a theological necessity. Hmm. Otherwise, where do we find the absence of God? Uh -huh. um, yeah Bible. it's like what jesus said like you said what jesus said on the cross like we are like are we allowed to say that or like the lament psalms and then like imprecation psalms like is that okay for us to say now like what where god where are you why why have you not struck down my enemies yeah it's it's there's some reality in there and these books uh, esther and songs songs written obviously a long long time ago uh it, during the old testament era but it's it's still relevant to today and it's reminding us just because god seems absent and that's an illusion because he's not he's never totally absent it's just more silent um to not question your to not feel bad about your not have your faith questioned and i think like what you're saying dr son is where you have a lot of this um only talking about God's presence all the time. And then if you do feel like in your personal life, God's been kind of distant or quiet, it shouldn't make you, it'll automatically, if your message is only that he's always present, then that makes you feel like, oh, am I ignored by him? But these two books remind us, you know, he's in the background working. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. And it kind of allows us, like you say, it allows us to, to ask that question, like, God, where are you? Mm -hmm. instead of us always saying like oh man me and god are always tight where we like we know god is always there for us mm -hmm. <laughs> like i think sometimes we think like am i allowed to have these questions am i allowed to to think these things um which i think you bring out really well in your book kind of theologically um with thank you um so bringing out we've we've kind of dipped into this a little bit but maybe we can bring this out your longest chapter by far is um, the canon chapter, which is good because you go through kind of the, the theology of this and, and where we see kind of what we call these, you call resonances and dissonances, the things that are very similar and things that are dissimilar. Mm -hmm. um, and it shows inner canonicals of how these stories kind of help us better understand other stories and how those other stories had better help us understand Esther and Song of Songs. So what, 
what are maybe if you can describe some what are some of the big connections and how can they help us better read these two books and how can these two books better help us read other books thank you for your question uh, next time when we read these two books summer sons and esther we try to see them as echo chambers um, they are echoing the rest of the hebrew bible from the law to the prophets to the writings. Mm -hmm. And so I cite different intercanonical connections. Um, there are similarities and there are differences. Mm -hmm. If we only cite the similarities, we'll feel very exciting. But then the differences also um, uh, allow us to see the, the, dif the, the different contributions that these two books or the distinctions of these two books from the rest of the Hebrew scripture. Yeah. So the similarities connect the rest of the um, biblical books, uh, make, make us see these two books as a part of the scripture. And their differences um, would help us to see the distinction or the contributions of Song of Songs and Esther yeah. to the rest of the scripture. So we just have to find those connections and then we realize these two books are amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you talk about maybe, what, what are some examples of some of these connections? We talked mm -hmm. about Joseph being a connection with these. We talked about the Garden of Eden with the Song of Songs. What are, what are, what are maybe some other connections that, that readers who are maybe not as familiar with these can help them like, oh, this is, I never saw this connection before. Okay, I'm, I'm uh... I'm reading my book. Um, <laughs> actually, I got it. And I, I could, uh, while you take your time with that, I actually <laughs> have a page that could help with Peter's question because it kind of tees up what I was going to ask on page 229 of, you're talking about motives too. And yeah. there's, yeah, different, different, some themes. And so with Song of Songs, you're talking about the um, Eden motive, uh, prophet theme, women figures in Proverbs, and then in Esther. That's right, yeah. You're you're talking about temple theme, Joseph narrative, Exodus stories, Saul, and the the Daniel narrative, and the story of Ruth. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's a, <laughs> yeah. A big yeah. summary. Yeah. Um, how are some? How did some of these? I think one of them that would maybe be really cool for our listeners. How how does maybe Proverbs like you talk about Proverbs one through nine? Yes. How yes. does that connect with Song of Songs? Okay. Um. In the Song of Songs, uh, a lot of descriptions about the women, uh, the, the major uh, female character in the Song of Songs, share similarities with the wife in Proverbs 1 to 9, or the, the, the white, uh, the or wisdom, a woman wisdom, or lady wisdom. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, the adulterous woman. Mm -hmm. And so it makes you wonder hmm, what does it mean? And so uh, one of my, I guess, uh, conclusions would be the, the poet of Song of Songs, um, he or she may share a similar uh, literary stock uh, with the, the world of the Proverbs. But, but another way to see it is the woman in the Song of Songs, she has the character of the lady wisdom in the Proverbs, but at the same time, she has not the character, but um, similar, how should I put this? Images yeah, uh, yep. with the adulterous women, but then she mm. is in the yeah. marital context um, uh, as opposed to the adulterous women, you know, right. out of the marriage context. Yeah. 
So there's, there's, there, that's that. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, there's, you make, you make so many more connections than, than these, um, that we, that we can't bring out in some of this, but maybe what are some, um, what are some differences that we see? Obviously that the big kind of glaring one is God is not mentioned in, mm-hmm. um, Song of Songs and Esther, but maybe what are some, what are some, okay. like you said, dissonances that help us better understand these two books too? Okay. Um, Song of Songs uh, is another version of the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. So there are similarities, uh, like the the fountain, the the uh, water imageries, um, as I mentioned earlier. But the difference would be in the Garden of Eden story, the the man is mm-hmm. the leader. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. the man who leaves his father and his mother and be cleaved with his wife, and it's the name is the man who named the women. Uh-huh. women. But, and but then in the Song of Songs is the woman who's the leading character. That's right. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's the difference. Yep. She goes searching for the man. She goes wandering for him. Yeah. Her lo- heart longs for him versus its yeah. limits in the garden. And then, yes. And then also in the uh, Garden of Eden story, it's it's more functional. You know, the man is to till the, the ground. Hmm. The man is to uh, work in the Garden of Eden. Um, to, but then And then the woman is the helper of the man. Mm-hmm. There's no love mentioned. But then in the Song of Songs, the it's not functional, you know, the man and the woman. It's it's mm-hmm. all about their mutual. That's true. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really talk about their work. It doesn't really say what they do. They just long to yeah. love. It's all about love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. I feel like yeah, there's a song out there that says all about love. <laughs> I have a question about Esther too. And initially this I was initially thinking like, maybe I shouldn't ask this, or it seems like a dumb question, but I think I know the answer, but I'm going to throw it out there because I think it's a question the audience would have too, is how come Ruth isn't put in here? Because a lot of people think of Esther and Ruth, they package them mentally together. I know I've done that in the past, Um, but I think I know the answer, but I just want to hear you like say- terribly dissimilar stories. They're like- Right. Like, why is this not- why is this not Esther, Ruth, and Song of Songs? Why is this just Song of Songs and Esther? Nick, this is not a dumb question. Why? <laughs> Thank you. You're so nice. You're so nice. <laughs> we'll, we'll pay you after for saying that. <laughs> but I think I know the answer, but uh, I'll let you answer. Uh, traditionally, pe- uh, people put Ruth and Esther together because they're both mm-hmm. narratives, right? Song of Songs is, a, is, is not a narrative. And yeah, there are female, more similarities. A female lead too in both of them. Yeah. Um, narratives, female lead named by women, the title of the mm-hmm. book title named by women. Um, and also um, you know, foreigners and Israel Israeli, the relationship, marriage, uh, a lot of similarities. Well, if if I were to write a book on Ruth and Esther, a lot of people have already written. On it. Mm-hmm. None has put Song of Songs and Esther together as a mm-hmm. book. Yep. <laughs> um, another thing is God's name is is, is there in, in yep. even though God is also hidden. That's um, what I was gonna say too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when we when we go to Megiloth, the five books, we can see the absence of God as a major theme. Hmm. Even in Lamentations. Yeah. Because the temple's right. destroyed and they're trying to figure yeah. out what they're yeah. And in Ecclesiastes, it's kind of dark too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Life under the sun. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say in 
Ruth, Ruth tells Naomi, I'll worship your God. I'll go where you go. I'll worship your God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, there's a lot of, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also some differences too, because yeah, there's no God mentioned in the book of Esther, but there's God mentioned in Ruth mm. and Ruth is um, a Moabites mm -hmm. and she goes yep. with Boaz. So Ruth is not from the same line nor mm -hmm. from the same kind of tribal ancestry and, um, Esther goes with Mordecai into the Persian palace. And so they're going to the place that's not Israel. And they're like, where's, where's the temple? Where's, where are they supposed to be going? This is, mm -hmm. this is not, it's not right. Yeah. I actually taught a course on Ruth and Esther together. Oh, cool. Huh. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people just, yeah. Two, those two books together. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Cause it's, it's, yeah. It's kind of odd that nobody's ever put a book on the two books, maybe they're just scared of the two books that don't have God's name in it. And you're like, I'm going to do it. I like it. Maybe. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's a major connection. We, we've brought up a bunch of those. Um, but as a, as a final, as a final word. So we, we're kind of, kind of tying a bow around this. And again, there's, there's so much that we haven't covered. And I would, I would really encourage our listeners to go, go buy this and, and see some of the stuff that we haven't covered and um, everything else the Dr. Sun has written about. But as a final word, how, how are you hoping this work better helps us read and understand Song of Songs and Esther as, as well as kind of the major theme of, of God's absence and presence? Both how we better how how do you how how do you want us to better read this after reading your book? And then how can we understand kind of our own our own thoughts, maybe our own insecurities and thinking like where where is God in my life and um, why doesn't he act more than he does? Mm -hmm. So Song of Songs and Esther, they are small books when mm -hmm. compared to Genesis, Exodus, Isaiah. Mm -hmm. But these two small books speak volumes mm -hmm. about who God is. So a lot of times in the absence of God, we tend to know him or another side of him. Mm. And that um, completes the picture or help us understand more fully who God is in both his presence and absence. So reading these two books would contribute theologically to the nature of God and who he is and how we are to relate to him. So for those who are experiencing the absence of God uh, in your lives right now, um, I would encourage you to read these two books and try to find God in other ways. Because a lot of times uh, God's presence is not visible it is through nature through his creation through a dramatic timing through a loving community uh, through doing justice there are different ways to sense god's presence so i would encourage you to explore those ways and um, to be in touch with a loving human community helps as in Song of Songs, you know, they're not just one person, there are two major people. Um, and then in the Esther, there is a faith community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. Because I think these are, sometimes it's, it's a, it's a question Christians can be fearful to ask. And they feel like I can't talk to my pastor about this, or I can't talk to my friends about this. Mm -hmm. Um but like you said, we have two books in the canon, which 
have have helped form the church and the church is is, is recognized as, as being as being inspired that don't name God. And so mm-hmm. it's in in yes, God is like we talked about, there's the temple theme, there's there's all these themes, but like I said, the author is making a point by not making a point mm-hmm. by, by yes. not by not saying something. So it's it's helpful where yeah, we can we can be honest with our feelings. Those don't, those don't freak out God. Those are their own internal stuff. It doesn't, when we say like, God, where are you? He, he's not up in heaven saying like, Oh man, that's they're They're questioning me, man. I'm, I gotta, I gotta figure something out. He's, he's, he's prepared for these things. He's And, and I was going to add too, just speaking of Esther, God gave her wisdom mm-hmm. to make certain decisions and choices. Um, I would say, she wouldn't have been able to be that leader and make those choices and ha- be smart and wise if it wasn't for God. Yeah. And it's, yeah, like it's, it, I, maybe I read this in your book or maybe I'm just making a connection, but it's not dissimilar from the wisdom that Adam was supposed to have. He was supposed to name things and he was supposed to do what was right in God's eyes and he didn't. And in a sense, Esther's given that same mandate. Like you have to, you have to do this and, mm-hmm. and she does. Yeah. So, it's kind of a like a it's it sets kind of a contrast between her as as kind of her and Mordecai as kind of like Adamic figures versus mm-hmm. the first Adam who who doesn't do it. Yes. Yeah. That's a great contrast. Thank so, you. <laughs> maybe yeah, another book of yours in the in the future. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on, Doctor Sun. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add that we that we didn't get to that you um, that you think is would be helpful for our listeners to to hear. Yeah, I just thank you both for this time that we can talk about this book and this subject about the presence and absence of God. Appreciate you both. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking about your book. Thank you for writing your book. And we're looking forward to some other stuff that you have coming in the future. Okay. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision-making process for episodes for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you wanna do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, This is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.